Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Father, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for what we are celebrating today. The day that the Holy Spirit came. The day that the room was filled with the breath of God. And fire sat on the heads of the disciples. God, we thank you for this day. That today represents the Holy Spirit coming and never leaving us. That, that the Holy Spirit has come to continue the work that Jesus began through us. And that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now quickens our mortal bodies. Father, we thank you for what today represents. God, I pray that, uh, that today my speech and my preaching would not be with persuasive words of human wisdom, but God would be in demonstration of the spirit and power that our faith would not be in the wisdom of any man, but would be in the power of God. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that today this room would be filled with the Holy Spirit as it was in the upper room in the days of Acts, Jesus. God, that today we would leave with a re-infilling of the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, we honor you today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Today's Pentecost. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit uh, for the past three weeks now, leading up to today. Uh, and I wanted to give just a quick, very quick review because I've got seven pages of notes. So a real, and everybody was like, oh no, I should have left with that first group of people. Right? <laughs> we'll go quick, I promise. Well, I won't promise. I, you don't make promises you can't keep, right? Anyways, uh, I wanted to just quickly go over the last three weeks of what we had talked about to leading up to today. And the first week we covered who is the Holy Spirit? We talked about that his primary job is set out before us in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, where it says, the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's main job on this earth is to commune with us. It's the Greek word koinonunye or something along those lines. And it literally means to be in joint participation with to come alongside, to be the helper, amen? The Holy Spirit exposes sin and righteousness inside of us. Sin is not just moral failure. Sin is the person acting out of character. It's acting out of your nature, right? So the Holy Spirit comes along and he says, no, 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 listen, that is not who you are, right? You're acting outside of your nature and your character. But not only does he expose sin, he also exposes righteousness. And righteousness is the word diokosune, which means him as he ought to be. How should you ought to be? You should be like Jesus. Amen. And so not only does he expose sin, but he exposes righteousness. So he comes along and he not only says this is not who you are, but he comes along and says this is who you are. This is who you ought to be. And he tells you and leads us in correct identity. Amen. He's the paraclete, the helper. When you break up that word paraclete there, it's two words. It's a compound word. The first word para, parak, I think is how you pronounce it, is the word end, right? 
And then the second word is leak or something along those lines. It's another word that none of us know how to pronounce anyway, so I'm not going to attempt it. But it's another word, compound word, and it literally means the curse. So literally the word paraclete, who the Bible describes as the Holy Spirit to us, means to end the curse. So literally one of the Holy Spirit's job is to come to us and remind us continually, the curse is broken. The curse is broken. The curse is broken. You may be thinking, but God, I, I messed up. I sinned. I failed. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, yeah, I realize that. But the curse is broken right? You may be coming along and saying, but God, I'm sick in my body. Or somebody I know is sick in their, our body. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, I realize that's happening, but I came to remind you the curse is broken. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to remind us that the curse is broken and to tell us who we are. That was week one. I thought we were in week two. That was all week one. Woo. All right. Week two, one of my favorite weeks so far, Jesus is our model. How do we know how to walk in the, with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us? We look at the person of Jesus who walked this earth, yes, as God, but worked out and did things as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Which tells us, I've said this before, that, that if, God, if Jesus did everything he did as God, then we're still in wonder and amazement, right? But all we can do is stand back and applaud but if he did what he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's an invitation for us to walk as Jesus walked. Because we have the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead, living it on side of us. And Jesus wasn't just filled with the Holy Spirit for goosebumps, right? Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit for a purpose. He stood up in the Nazareth synagogue, grabbed the scroll and said, and read from the book of Isaiah and said that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach the good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives, set at liberty the captives, opening the prison doors for the bound and to comfort those who mourn. So Jesus didn't come or Jesus was, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And his purpose was for the broken, for the captive, for the bound, and for those that mourn. By the end of that chapter, it says that the most broken people in the community became oaks of righteousness. That the ones who were most broke in the community met a man filled with the Holy Spirit and they became oaks of righteousness. They went from being the most broken to the most whole and stable people in the community. So whole and stable that Isaiah goes on to say that these people who were once broken, who became oaks of righteousness, now go on to repair cities and restore communities. That the generation, what the generations in the past have lost, they restore through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit for goosebumps. He was filled with the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And that purpose was to heal the most broken in the community. Amen? Amen. Week three, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. That we are led by the Spirit of God. Not the nature of the flesh or the legalism of the law, but we are led by the Spirit. How do we know we are led by the Spirit? We exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is a byproduct 
of the nature of the tree. Let me say it again. This time shout when I say it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Here we go. Fruit is a byproduct of the nature of the tree. Meaning when you exhibit the fruit of the spirit, you are revealing the new nature on the inside of you. You have been given a new nature and the Holy Spirit brings that nature out of you. Amen. We exhibit the fruit of the spirit. And that brings us to today, Pentecost Sunday, the day we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling with man. Amen. Let's read about it. Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under the heavens. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Perinthian and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, <laughs> Egypt, and other parts of Libya joining uh, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and and proselytes. I'd like to see you all try that one. <laughs> Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of the gospel. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocked and said, they are full of new wine. I love that line because apparently a side effect of being drunk is being able to speak in languages you didn't previously know. So I don't know, whatever. Acts chapter two, Pentecost has come. You know, Pentecost is actually a Jewish holiday that had been around for many, many, many generations, for thousands of years before the day of Pentecost had come in Acts chapter two. Pentecost, the word is a Greek word that literally means 50. It's also called the day of Shabbat, which means weeks. So uh, Pentecost happens either 50 days or seven weeks after the day of Passover. And it was one of the only, one of the very few festivals where all the known world would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost together. And when they were celebrating Pentecost, you see in that culture, they had two growing seasons and they had two harvest seasons. Wouldn't that be nice? All the farmers in the room, two growing seasons and two harvest seasons. And Pentecost was celebrated for two reasons. One was for the first harvest. So they would come together and celebrate and thank God for the harvest, the very first harvest of the season. The other reason they would come together and celebrate was to commemorate um, the law being given on Mount Sinai. 
And man, there's a, there's a whole sermon right there in that. There's so much symbolism between Pentecost and the law being given on Mount Sinai. But we're not going to get into all of that this morning. Uh, if you want to nerd out later with me, I will be glad. We can sit down and chat about it. It's some cool stuff. But that, that was why Pentecost was originally celebrated, was for the first harvest and was for uh, commemorating the day the law was given on Mount Sinai. So it has a lot of history. So that's why when we read in the book of Acts, all of those uh, lands and nations that I couldn't pronounce as we were going through, they were all coming together. They were all in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Shabbat. They were there to celebrate Pentecost together. Now, Pentecost, fast forward after we have the, the, the day the Holy Spirit comes. Now, fast forward thousands of years later, Pentecost means something completely different today, doesn't it? We don't celebrate harvest during Pentecost, and we don't really commemorate the law being given on Mount Sinai. Now we celebrate it as the day that the Holy Spirit came and dwelt among us. Now, for most of us, when we think of Pentecost, when we think of the Holy Spirit coming, we, you know, we, we think about the Holy Spirit coming, but a lot of people, I think, kind of brush over it kind of as the day that those crazy Pentecostals believe we were given the gift of tongues, right? But it's so much more, so much more than that. It is literally earth shattering what this day represents. It's earth altering what happened on the day of Pentecost. That the day of Pentecost means so much to a believer. So let's talk a little bit about what the day of Pentecost means and represents for followers of Jesus. First of all, Pentecost represents the dove coming and remaining. We started this series talking about uh, when Jesus was baptized in the waters, the baptismal waters of John. You remember that? We've had lots of talking about that particular event. And Jesus is being baptized by John and, and Jesus is, is going into the waters and his baptism represents his death burial, and resurrection that's to come. But it also represents our death, burial, and resurrection to come, doesn't it? Romans chapter 6, shall we go on sinning then? Certainly not. For how shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? That don't you know that you are buried with him in baptism? but you were also raised with him in newness of life, that his death, burial, and resurrection was your death, burial, and resurrection. That you are a new man, a new creation, that old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And Jesus was baptized in the waters to prophesy about what was to come in the years to follow. That new life was about to be given, amen? After he comes up out of the water, what immediately happens? The dove descends. The dove descends, and the Bible says it remained upon Jesus. That Jesus' baptism was where the dove came and descended and remained upon him. But Pentecost, are you ready? Pentecost is the day that the dove descends and remains upon mankind. That the baptism was Jesus's dove encounter, but Pentecost is mankind's dove encounter. And now the dove not, doesn't come and visit us. The dove comes and remains upon us. Amen. 
So Pentecost represents the dove coming and remaining. Pentecost represents the breath of life. You know, in Genesis, when God formed man from the dust of the earth, it says that he breathed, he, he, he molded man's body, and then he breathed the breath of life into Adam, and Adam came alive. In Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophet is in a vision. He's, God has given the prophet a vision, and he's in the midst of the valley of dry bones. He's surrounded by death. And God tells Ezekiel, he says, prophesy to the bones. Prophesy life to the bones. So Ezekiel begins to prophesy to the bones. And the bones begin to come together. It says joint to joint. It says that sinews and flesh grow on the bodies. And the bodies are there, but they're still lifeless. They're all put back together, but they're still dead. And then God Asked Ezekiel, he says, can these bones live? And, and he says, you, O Lord, only, only know. And God says, begin prophesy to the winds, is what it says. Prophesy to the four corners of the earth that the winds would come and blow on these slain. And it says that he began to prophesy and then breath came. The wind came and entered in to these dead bodies. And it says that they stood up a vast and a numerous army fully alive. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they were all together in one accord. And there came a sound from heaven as what? A rushing mighty wind. That word wind can be either the wind that, you, that we hear and we experience. It can also mean breath. So the wind comes from heaven and fills the place where they were at. And they, the, the prophets and the, the disciples, the apostles that were in the room that day experienced the breath of life that was breathed into Adam that made him come alive. And that breathed into the vast, into the dry bones and made them stand and become a vast army. And now that same breath is breathing life into the disciples. And it says that they became, that was the birth of the church. The church became alive. That we were given newness of life. John chapter 3 verse 8 says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. In the beginning God breathed into man and he came alive. In Ezekiel God breathed on the dry bones and they came alive. But in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, God breathed on man once again, and the church was born, and we were given new life. Pentecost represents the day the church came alive. It came alive. And not only did the church come alive, but you came alive as well. Amen? Pentecost. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. In Genesis 11, the people of earth came together under one language to build a tower that touched the heavens. In their arrogance, they stood against God, building an empire for themselves. So God, it says in Genesis, it says, God recognized their pride and their arrogance and he confused their language, the Bible says, and scattered their kingdoms all over the earth. 
But at Pentecost, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes from heaven. They were building a tower to heaven. Now the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven to earth and fills man. And man begins to speak in tongues. And the people of the nations hear the mysteries of the kingdom spoken in their own language. So at Pentecost, nations and cultures who were once separated by languages were unified under the language of the Spirit. As Peter declared, this is the day that Joel prophesied about. That the spirit would be poured out on all flesh. So on the day of Babel, on the day of Babel, man was broken up and disunified. But on the day of Pentecost, man was reunified under the language of the kingdom, under the language of the spirit. That Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. I got one more. You ready? One more and about three more pages. Here we go. Pentecost. This is my favorite one. Pentecost represents a new tabernacle. When the first tabernacle was established by Moses in Exodus chapter 40, it says that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And it says that at night you would see a fire a fire hovering over the tabernacle. But in Acts chapter two, we see the Holy Spirit come and he is now standing as a fire over each and every believer in the room as he fills the Holy, as, he's, as they are being filled with the Holy Spirit. That the tabernacle was not that this new, okay, on the day of Pentecost, the glory of the Lord filled a new tabernacle and a new fire rested above it. This tabernacle was not built by hands, by the hands of man, but by the hands of Yahweh. This tabernacle was not made of wood and stone, but of flesh and blood. First Corinthians three sixteen. do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells within you? That on, on the day of Pentecost, the tabernacle went from being brick and mortar to being flesh and bone. That it went from being in one location to being in every believer. That you have become the tabernacle, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That the fire, now that, that once dwelt over the tabernacle, now dwells over you. Yes. That's, why, that's why when Jesus meets the woman at the well... In John chapter four, he looks at her and he says, there will be one day that you won't worship in this mountain and you won't worship in Jerusalem, but that the true believers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Why does he say that? You don't have to go to this tabernacle or that tabernacle because the tabernacle is now within you that you are the new home of the glory of God, that the tabernacle has become flesh and blood. You are the tabernacle, amen? Yes, amen. To prove this point even more, Ezekiel chapter 47 says that there is a river that flows from the threshold of the tabernacle. 
that Ezekiel saw a river flowing from the threshold of the tabernacle, that it goes out from the tabernacle and it says that first it's ankle deep, then it's knee deep. Then it's waist deep and before long, it's over your head. And it says that this river flows out and it says that, that as the river goes along, everything that touches it comes to life. And it says that the trees that grow on the banks of the river, it says that they bear fruit in every single season. That they don't, there's not a season that goes by. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you gotta do is call, right? Winter, spring, summer, or fall, no matter what season you're in, it bears fruit. And it says that the leaves on the trees never wither and they never die. And it says that the fruit will be food for the nations and the leaves are medicine for the world. Then Jesus comes along in John chapter four, or no, I'm sorry, John chapter something, six, I believe, somewhere in there. And he stands up during a feast and he announces to the crowd, he says that now there is a river that comes to me. He says, he comes, says, come to me, all you who thirst and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says that there will be a river that flows from our bellies, from our inmost being, that there will be a river that flows. And they says this, he spoke concerning uh, the Holy Spirit. It says John chapter seven, there it is. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That you became the new temple on the day the spirit was poured out. And now the river of life doesn't flow from a tabernacle built by hands. But the tabernacle of the heart. That you, but it flows from the tabernacle built by God. Amen. That the spirit, that the river, that the healing of the nations flows from your innermost being. That you bear fruit. You can bear fruit in every season. That the healing of the nations is found in the one who hosts the presence and the river of God. And guess what? That's you. Yes. Amen? This is the great mystery hidden from the ages and from generations that Paul writes about in Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. On the day of Pentecost, we received more than just a prayer language. We received the same spirit that Jesus had when he raised the dead, healed the sick, and made the blind to see. The same spirit that raised Christ himself from the dead lives in our mortal bodies. On Pentecost, the third member of the Trinity who co-created the heavens and the earth descended from heaven and took up residence inside of the new tabernacle, you and I. Amen? As you can imagine, when this happened, it changed the apostles. That when they were filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost, all of these things took place. All of these things happened. And as you can imagine, it, this didn't allow them to stay the same, but it caused them to be different people. It caused them to have a new nature. We see this clearly in the person, Peter. I love, I love how Peter 
the one who just weeks before cowered behind a fire, denying that he had ever even known who Jesus was. He had spent three years with the Messiah, witnessing miracle after miracle. He told Jesus, Jesus, no matter what happens, I am with you to the death. And then when push comes to shove, he's hiding behind a fire, acting like he's never even seen the man before. And this guy, this guy is the very first person to have the privilege of preaching the gospel under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. Which is amazing for us because that tells us that it is not our reputation, it is not even our faithfulness that qualifies us for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That the gift of the Holy Spirit are for those who turn to Jesus and call him Lord and Savior. That is the only qualification. Amen? That Peter became a new man and stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the first message of the gospel as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was more than an experience. It was world-shifting. It was world-shifting. It changed the face of the planet. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it is not for an experience, but for a purpose. It's not just for an experience. It's for a purpose. In Acts chapter 1, just before the day of Pentecost had come, Jesus is standing with his disciples moments before he ascends to heaven. Jesus looks at his, his disciples and he tells them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What was Jesus telling them in this moment? He was telling them that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you receive power. But for what? Why do you receive power? Is it so you can speak in tongues? Do you receive power so you can have good Sunday morning worship services? No. Those are all wonderful. But that's not the purpose. He says that you'll be filled with power and you will be a witness to me, to the nations, to the world. So what's he saying here? He says, you will be filled with power and you will be filled with power because you are to represent me to the entire planet. That I began a work of restoration on the earth. That the restoration, that God, that Jesus came to the earth and he began the process of restoration, of restoring to earth, to God's original purpose. And what he's saying is, he's saying, I'm about to leave, but I am giving you power, not so you can have good church services, but I'm giving you power so you can continue the work that I started on this planet. That you are a witness to me. Amen. He says, you are a witness to me. You receive power to continue Jesus' mission of reconciliation and restoration on the earth. 
Luke goes on in Acts chapter 1 to tell us that after Jesus said these things, the disciples watched as Jesus was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Wouldn't that be cool to see? Yeah. It says that as Jesus was taken up into the clouds and received him out of sight, it says that the men, or it says that they continued staring into the clouds, watching this happen. And as they were staring into the clouds, that two men in white stood beside the disciples. And they said this to them. Wouldn't that be shocking? <laughs> oh, hey, what's up? So these men said this. It says, men of Galilee, why do you stand staring into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. So what, what are these guys trying to tell the disciples here? In essence, here's, here's what they're saying. It says that, that they're, they're saying something along these lines that Jesus has begun his restoration on earth, right? Now he is giving you power, right, to, to continue the restoration process, to continue his work on the earth. And he has gone to heaven and now it's your job to continue the work. And there's going to be a day where he comes back and he will fulfill and complete the work that he had promised, that the earth, that the new heaven and the new earth will come and he was going to completely restore creation. But until then, your job is to continue on the ministry. So why are you just standing here staring into the sky? You have a job to do. You have a job to do. Basically what they're saying is you have a job to do. So quit just staring into the sky. They didn't give him much time, did they? They're still watching him go up and the angel's like, what are you doing standing here? You have work to do. But here's my fear. My fear is that there's too many of us Christians who are still just staring into the sky. That there's work to be done on earth and you have been empowered. That the day of Pentecost represents the day you were filled with the same spirit of Christ to do the works of the ministry. But we're just standing here. Wonder when he's coming back. Wonder when he's coming back. And we're so fascinated with staring into the sky. That we, we read more books about the latest opinion on the end times than we do reading the book of Acts. That we, we spend our time looking for the newest Antichrist. Listen, there's been more Antichrist in the past 20 years than there's been people coming to salvation. I thought it was JFK. Darn it. It wasn't him. Oh, I, I thought it was going to be Trump. Oh, no. I, you don't say that in this room. Trump is not the Antichrist, right? Oh, I, I thought it was going to be Obama. And, and we've been wrong for thousands of years, but for some reason, we're continuing to watch the news, looking for the signs of the end times, and we keep missing it. Maybe we're missing it because we're not supposed to be looking around or, or looking up, but we're supposed to be looking around and performing and, and doing the works of the ministry instead of waiting for his return. He's going to come back. The angel said it. Listen, he went up. He's going to come back. But in the meantime, 
Stop staring into the sky and begin looking around you and doing the work of the ministry. Do the works of the ministry. Amen? Stop staring into the sky. Do the works of the ministry. Listen, I think we're in the end times too. I think we're in the times too. I just think we have been since Peter stood up and declared at the day of Pentecost that this day is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. What was Joel's prophecy? That in the last days, the spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters would prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. So you see, the signs of the end times aren't microchips and antichrist. The sign of the end times is the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh and sons and daughters prophesying and seeing the restoration of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom, Isaiah chapter nine says that we go from glory to glory, that the wonderful counselor, his kingdom will be without end. His kingdom will be without end. And our job is not to stare into the sky. Guys, I can't wait for him to return either. But until then, I'm not going to spend my time staring into the sky. I'm going to spend my time doing the works of the men. Doesn't that sound more fun anyways? We have more faith that the world is burning and on fire than we do to believe that the spirit, the power of the spirit inside of us is able to change and put out that fire. Our job is not to watch the world burn and predict when he's coming back. Our job is to put out the fire. And, and, and what does it say? It says that he's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. The bride looks pretty spotted and wrinkled these days, doesn't it? How does the spot become without, how does the bride become without spot or wrinkle? Because the sons and daughters of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit begin to perfect the bride. You know, I think we're pushing away the return of Christ by staring into the sky more than we're bringing the, than predicting the return of Christ because he's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Let's get to work, ladies and gentlemen. The day of Pentecost, listen, was more than receiving a prayer language. The day of Pentecost was more than an experience. The day of Pentecost is where we receive power we receive the same spirit that Jesus operated in when he was on this earth to be able to affect change into the earth. Amen. Our job is to see the kingdoms of this world. Come on. Our job is to see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. That is our mission and that is our job. And the Holy Spirit is our power to see it happen. Amen. I love this thought. I promise I'm getting there. I love this thought that the, the apostles were not persecuted for getting people ready for heaven. The apostles were persecuted for declaring that the kingdom of heaven is invading earth. The apostles were persecuted because they said, listen, there's this king of kings and this Lord of Lord that trumps your Caesar. And this is the kingdom that we are called to establish on this earth that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. The angels are saying, why are you staring into the sky? 
He will be back. But until then, Jesus has commissioned you to be his witness into the earth. And you know what? That's exactly what the apostles did. They quit looking into the sky and they went up to the tabernacle on the day of prayer. And on their way up, they met this poor, broken man who has been lame from his mother's womb, begging at this gate called Beautiful. And the beggar reaches out and asks them for alms. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at the man and he says, silver and gold have I not. But what I do have, I give to you. Rise in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise, take up your mat and walk. And you know what happened? The man stood up and began walking. And the Bible says not only did he walk, he began leaping and shouting and praising God that this man who was broken was healed because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Philip preached to an entire Samaritan village, a people group discarded by the religious, and the entire village came to know Jesus that day through the power and the preaching of the Holy Spirit. A man named Ananias, a man named Ananias was visited one day and was by an angel and was told to go find this man named Saul. And this man named Saul is known, a known persecutor of the church. And the angel tells this man named Ananias to go find this man named Saul to pray for him. So he goes and finds this man named Saul and Saul has had an encounter with Jesus himself. And because of the encounter, it says that scales were over his eyes and he was blind and couldn't see. So Ananias, full of the Holy Spirit, lays his hands on this man named Saul and prays for him. And it says that the, the scales that were on his eyes fell off into the ground. And that Saul, who then became Paul, was then filled with the Holy Spirit, who then goes on to have one of the greatest ministries in the early church and writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Because a man named Ananias was filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Peter meets a group of people mourning the death of a lady named Tabitha. Peter goes into the room where Tabitha is laying lifeless. Peter then turns to her, it says, and said, Tabitha, arise. And the Bible tells us that her eyes popped open and she sat up and Peter led her by the hand back out and showed her to the village and to her family that was there who received her life back with joy. And he did that because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like anybody to you? Notice none of the stories I just shared was Jesus. But it sure sounds an awful lot like something Jesus would do, doesn't it? That the poor the broken, the mourning, the bound, the slaves, the prisoner were set free because Jesus came filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. But now on the day of Pentecost, that same spirit comes 
remains upon mankind. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit, not for goosebumps, but we become the temple of the Holy Spirit to do the work, to continue the work of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.